Shumrabyug. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Sherlock Sure Listen, the podcast that takes a pop at culture. Sherlock, Sure Listen. 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 Sherlock, Ben, this week Loki has another new trailer. Rick and Morty Season 5 is still a thing that's coming out. You have managed to watch all of Castlevania Season 4 and Army of the Dead, both of which, Ben, I forgot to watch because I was too busy watching Mayor of Easttown. Asher, listen, Mick, even if you didn't see those, we're going to be taking a look at the himbo, where it comes from, what it means, and what makes a himbo a himbo. Ben, what even is a himbo? That's what we're about to find out, Michael. Here's the question, Ben, that I have for you. Yes. Have you learned anything new from the latest trailer for Loki? I learned that it's a weird Fallout 4 style time variance authority. It is very Fallout 4, isn't it? Um, Yeah. And the weird southern lady on the intercom. Unnecessary, Michael. She's she's like, have a good day, y'all, and don't you variant any any times, you son of a bitch. Otherwise, we'll vape you. Yeah, but Ben, it does give it, it very clearly, I think for the first time, it clarifies one of the assumptions we've all had that he's been basically pressed ganged into fixing the things he's caused. Yes, Michael, it's a shotgun partnership with Owen Wilson. It's a it's a shotgun wedding, Ben, and Owen Wilson's like, you better, wow, you better help us fix the time. Wow. And you, okay. <laughs> you knocked up my timeline and now you're going to marry it. Benjamin. Wow. In the yeah. previous uh, in the previous trailer as well, we saw that the Time Various Authority report into three sort of space lizards. Yeah, space lizards. No good, Michael. So three all-powerful space lizard kind of creatures, Ben. Is this some sort of reference, Ben, to Marvel's The Living Tribunal? It, it almost definitely is, Michael. I think you'll recall way, way back... Um, on a previous podcast that will not be mentioned now because we're we're different now. Uh, <laughs> you and I spoke about the the iconography at the very opening shot of one of the trailers looking awfully similar to one living tribunal. So Benjamin, are the three lizards going to actually turn out to be one lizard with three different heads pointing in different directions? Like Janus, but with three. More like a Hecate goddess of witchcraft vibe. Does she do that, Ben? She's got three old faces, Michael. Three old faces or one No, old three face old one? faces as in the vernacular to say good old timey boys. Right. Um, she has three faces generally in three phases. Michael, you've got your classic maiden, crone and woman vibe woman. going. <laughs> the third option then. Woman. Maiden, crone and the standard common or garden woman. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Wow. Well, wow. misogyny is strong on this new podcast. There's no Benjamin. misogyny in the word woman. <laughs> Benjamin, look, yeah, listen. Sure, look, Ben. Um, I'm still excited for it. I think it's going to be... It's it's looking increasingly um, Legion-esque and out there. Yeah, I think this borrows heavily from Legion, Michael. If the latest trailer proved anything, it's that this is going to be a wacky, what am I supposed to do here kind of adventure. And uh, I, oh, look, there's a D.B. Cooper scene. He gets snatched by Asgard on the Rainbow Bridge mm-hmm. in, in mid-D.B. Cooper vibe. Do you Very know what good. I mean? It's going to be interesting, Michael. It's going to be interesting. Is it going to be worth watching? It's Tom Hiddleston. He's going to he's going to draw them in, Michael. He's going to draw them in. are you happy that he doesn't have a shirt on? I quite like it when Tom Hiddleston doesn't have a shirt on. I quite like it when Tom Hiddleston does have a shirt on. I you're, just quite like Tom Hiddleston. You're just a Tom Hiddleston enjoyer. 
I'm a Hiddle stan. Um, <laughs> Have you just made that up? I think so, but I'm sure somebody else has beaten me to it before. Damn it. If if not, yeah. copyright, bloody Sherlock sure listen. 2021. 2021. Or whatever year it is. <laughs> Benjamin. It is. Yeah. Sherlock Benjamin. What else? Yeah, what was the other trailer? Rick and Mortimer. Richard and Mortimer. Still happening. Still happening. Ben, we have always comically, as a, as a bit of a joke between ourselves, called it Richard and Mortimer. because you know, We have. Because we do that sometimes. We artificially lengthen names as a little joke that we have. But um, funnily enough, in this trailer, he's actually called Richard. Uh, yes, by sexy Namor. Yeah, by sexy Namor. Or as he's also known, Namor. Benjamin, isn't his name Ricardo? Uh I think it is, but I think the Richard joke is a direct nod to the Fantastic Four idea because Namor calls Reed Richards Richards. Oh, of course I had So I, I think that. it's I think it's a shit joke. <laughs> I think that's what they're going for. Alright, it's just a Commodore Garden shit joke. <laughs> it's just a shit joke. Uh look, I'm gonna be honest, Michael. Yes. That show has become incredibly hit and miss for me. Go on. I think, and I think the internet was with me for season four there. The first half of season four was a huge letdown for a lot of Richard and Mortimer fans. And there was, was quite a complaint. Sexy dragons. Yeah. So that was the mid season finale of the last one. And it was a real low point for the show where everybody kind of said, boo, mm. what is this? That mm. was literally dick jokes for 20 yes. minutes. But Benjamin, what weren't the weren't the Council of Ricks episodes and the multiple mortar ep- episodes weren't they also in a season four and everybody loved those? That was season three, Michael. Was it? That was season three. Ben, I'm going to need you to get out of here with that information. That is a bit <laughs> of a surprise to me. It is, isn't it? No, season three was uh, the Council of Richards. No. Oh. Oh, well, then maybe season four was disappointing. Benjamin, what I thought was most interesting in this trailer was the use of the song Sabotage by the Beastie Boys. It it has a weird history, that song. Go on. Well, I know, it's a Beastie Boys song, Ben. And the Beastie Boys, Ben, you're quite young, so you won't remember that the Beastie Boys were a popular group in the 80s and 90s. Of beasts? No, boys. They're, they're oh. boys. Yeah, yeah, three boys. Three boys, Mike, Adam and Mike. Um, oh. Or is it the other way around? Doesn't matter, Ben. This isn't a Beastie Boy fan cast. So there's Should no be, need to though. get into it. But famously, Ben... We call it Bestie Boys. Because <laughs> they're into bestiality. Ah, oh, Michael. No, we'll get cancelled. Benjamin. <laughs> what was I saying? I don't know. Famously, Sabotage. Was it Sabotage? Or was it Intergalactic? It, might, it was Sabotage. Sabotage, Ben, was famously the song that was playing... In Cap- young James T. Kirk's car that he stole. Yes. When he escaped from his father or something. That yes. That led on his path to becoming a rebellious Starfleet officer in one of the J.J. Abrams Star Treks. I think the first one, but possibly the second one. It, no, it was the first one, Michael. You're bang was on. It, it wasn't the first one. And Benjamin, people said when that came out, ooh, that's a bit on the nose. Is it now? Isn't it a that? bit on the nose? Well, there was a famous... <laughs> this is a ridiculous conversation. But there was a famous internet <laughs> meme, Ben, many years ago, where James T. Kirk, or what's his name? Yeah. William T. Shatner. W- William a, T. Shatner. William Thomas Shatner had an argument about the pronunciation of the word sabotage. 
Okay, go on. And he insisted on pronouncing it sabotage? Sabotage. Sabotage. Sabotage? I think he says sabotage. Sabotage, yeah, which would be the incorrect way. And then the big debate among Star Trek fans became, was this a... was this a little Easter egg for Star Trek fans who know that James T. Kirk says sabotage in a funny way? And is it a bit on the money as like a throwback song? Like, why did he pick that song in the future, 300 years from now, as a classical piece of music? It's always been a weird one. And it seems odd that the producers of Rick and Morty, who are really on the ball with pop culture references would pick a song that is famously used in situations that are a bit on the nose. So I think the use of that song is actually the main joke of this trailer. Or, Ben, I'm completely misreading it. And someone who made the trailer has nothing to do with the show and they just thought it's cool music. Well, I mean, look, that's an Occam's Razor situation where we could take the very simple thing, Michael. But in fairness to Richard and Mortimer, they very rarely take the simple option. To give them credit where credit's due. If they can convolute something, they'll they'll bloody do it. And they'll give it some layers and some silliness. And, you know, yeah, yeah, they'll yeah, do yeah. that kind of thing. One of the things that stuck out to me, Michael, that probably lends itself to your reading is the fact that they almost make it seem as though there'll be a season-long storyline yeah. where someone's out to kill us. Yeah. And they say, someone's always out to kill us. I think that might be the use of that. I, I think that Beastie Boys song is used for particularly action-packed movie trailers. Yeah, and yeah. And movie moments. Yeah. And I think, and I do think you're on the money here, I think that they're intentionally poking fun at themselves and making people think that they might be trying to go for a full arc and they're not at all. It's a humorous fake out. I think it's going to be a weird kind of anthology style snippet series again. Benjamin, I will watch every episode of it. I won't be upset if it's good or bad because I'm not that invested in it. Yes, no, neither of us are at this point, Michael. I think the world has probably lost the world's moved on, Richard. With Rick and Morty. Yeah, mm. yeah. Benjamin. Go on. Speaking of moving on from obsessions with animated series, what's going on in Castlevania? So, Michael, we got the, the final season, or what seems to be the final season, of uh, Netflix Castlevania series written by one Warren Ellis. Oh, I know him. And the only reason I make that very, very clear, Michael, is that it's made very clear in the title sequence where it says Castlevania by Warren Ellis. Go on. Which I think is very interesting because it's not his at all. But anyway. Go on. Anyway, this saw the the culmination of a a bunch of different arcs that we've been following since season one, Michael. Um, Spoilers for the Castlevania series if you haven't watched any of it yet. Um, I think the first season came out four years ago. So I think so, Ben. I made it through an episode and a half, I think. Yeah, that that would have been it for you. So I was very intrigued by it, Michael, because I once had the Castlevania Harmony of Dissonance. Is that what it was called? On the okay. PSP. I had it on, on the bloody Game Boy Advanced SP. Yeah, I think that's Harmony of Dissonance. Um, and I really enjoyed that game, Michael. I thought it was a big, weird, gothic world and you could play as Alucard and you could kind of run around. Um, so I was quite intrigued by this. But, Michael, we've finally seen full culmination here. Um, Dracula is eliminated in season one. Um, and the world, the, the the rest of that series follows the kind of the kind of wonderful logic of nature abhors a vacuum. Oh. Um, and what we encounter then in the following seasons is many, many different malevolent forces rushing to fill that vacuum. Oh. Um, and it follows our key cast of characters. You have Trevor Belmont. You have Cypher. 
whose name escapes me. Her name is Cypher something, and the second name escapes me. You have Alucard, son of Dracula. Um, and then we're introduced to some other interesting characters. We have two Forge Masters, Hector and Isaac. Um, and Forge Masters are people who can bring demons from hell and imbue them into dead corpses and cool. reanimate them. And that they then serve their will it's a really clever way michael to explain the sheer eclectic nature of the monsters in castlevania because sometimes when you're playing that game michael you'll be running around and you'll you'll throw your whip at a ghoul you'll give it an l lash and other times it's a sphinx michael you'll give a sphinx an l lash a medusa a medusa a bloody nordic revenant Something like that, Michael. And you might find yourself scratching your head and saying, why is all of world mythology and dead things in here in this castle? And that's why um, oh, that that's eclecticism are, are reanimated souls from hell. Um, yes. If Dracula named his son Alucard because it's Dracula backwards, yeah. that means when you have a son, you'll have to call it Neb. 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 Bringer of destruction. Saver the boy of Neb. The boy Neb. I think that could work. I think yeah, that'd yeah. work quite well. He'd hate me, but you look. Um, that's what. That's why Alucard hates Dracula. He's like, Dad, <laughs> come on. Could have called me anything. Could have called me Sue, Philip, David I, Johnston. I like that. For some reason, you yeah. have invoked the energy of Paul Rudd there and done an excellent impression. Because oh, I would pay an awful lot of money to watch a coming of age story starring. Paul Rudd as Alucard just being like dad oh. dad oh come on dad what you call me Alucard for I would pay a great deal of money to see that with J.K. Simmons as Dracula <laughs> drain that blood faster boy I would pay an you're an embarrassment to the Dracula bloodline boy I would love that. Anyway, this is the final season where we start to see the culmination of all different things come together, Michael. Um, It's a very different style to the previous couple of seasons. They seem to have put a bit more money into their anime budget. Um, So it's a little bit more fluid. There's a lot more anime-influenced vignettes. And it it was very enjoyable. It's a good wrap-up, Michael. Um, I take it to be the final season by the sheer nature of how it ended. The previous three seasons ended on a serious cliffhanger and this one seems to wrap everything up in a tight little bow. Oh, very good. A tight um, little bow. Again, uh, the voice acting, Michael, is really what sets the show apart. They just got a great cast of British actors um, to give the dig out and to, to really put some effort into it. And it was great. It was a great little wrap up, Michael. I enjoyed it. Very good, Benjamin. Benjamin. Yeah. Speaking as we were about nature abhor- abhorring a vacuum. Yeah. There hasn't been a Zack Snyder film in a couple of weeks. <laughs> oh, yes, there has. Uh, <laughs> no, Ben, what I'm saying is that the vacuum has been filled. It's been filled by a two and a half hour lump of lead. Michael. Oh, here we go. All right. This should um, be good. Now, Benjamin. Strap in. I've forgotten to watch it because I didn't think it was out yet. Yeah. It's not, I mean, that's not usually how it works around here. Although this is the first episode of the new podcast, Sherlock Shalism. Perhaps we've inverted our own tropes. Exactly, Ben. But Mm. I have not noticed that this has come out. I thought this was coming out in the cinemas, Ben, like Fast and Furious 9. No. Benjamin. Yes. Fast and Furious 9 is out in the cinemas. Now as we speak. Yeah, yeah. We don't have them because we don't have cinemas now. But it's actually They're all gone now. (laughs) It's made 109 million already. Because it's actually out in the cinema. Is that all? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all it takes these days, Michael. Yeah, not here, though. 
There's no cinemas here anymore. There's no cinemas here anymore. Michael, you'll Hello. recall over the last couple of weeks we've been we've been giving Netflix an old bash for their mediocrity. Yes, no good, no use. And it would seem that they're committed to this path of mediocrity because what we got this week is Army of the Dead from Zack Snyder. Your favourite director and mine, Zachary Snyder. Yeah, who has really taken all his tropes and just crammed them back into another movie. Um, except it's th- this time it's a, a classic heist movie with zombies, Michael. Oh, that sounds interesting. I like a heist movie. It should be interesting. That's the worst part about this, Michael, is it should be interesting. Now, I'm going to do full spoilers, Michael. Oh! Okay, because you wouldn't kid-glove me for this, right? I wouldn't. So... In this world, we thought, a couple of weeks ago, we debated whether or not money would still be useful in a zombie apocalypse. Yes. But we fundamentally misunderstood this film, Michael. Go on. In this film, it's just Las Vegas that has been segmented away from the rest of um, the world. So the, the rest of the world is fine. It doesn't have zombies. The rest of the world is fine. There are no zombies in the rest of the world. Las Vegas has fallen victim to zombies and it's then been quarantined, Michael. Oh. Yeah. So what the first part of this film is, Michael, is a very thinly veiled critique of Border Patrol and ICE agents. Oh, well, I mean, they probably deserve a bit of a critique, Ben. They they do, but it's a shit one. And what happens in this, Michael, is that the displaced survivors of Mexico. Las Vegas yes. are kept in a shantytown oh. around the border, a, a refugee camp around the border of Las Vegas because people can't be sure they haven't been infected. Right. So there's a little bit of a, there's a little bit of a, a I'd call it a, a watered down debate on, you know, how we treat these people. Okay. So there's a little bit of a coronavirus angle to it as well because, you know, the survivors have to get their temperatures checked all the time. Oh. And there's a lot of judgment if you're missing a couple of, you know, Fahrenheit here or there. Very on point. Very on point. There's a ludicrously obnoxious portrayal of a camp guard who's, you know, a predator and he's taking advantage of women in vulnerable situations and things like that. Um and that's how the setup is. Dave Batista, as it turns out, was part of a, a kind of crew that would hunt for survivors within Las Vegas. Oh, a rescue crew. Before it was completely walled off. Mm. And so in classic Zack Schneider style, Michael, the first 15, the, the, sorry, the first 10 minutes of that film is a slow motion montage of the world descending into chaos and slow motion things, explosions, guns, uh, Dave, Dave Bautista, Bautista doing a few action moves mm-hmm. hua, 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 hua. little vignettes think Watchmen and you have it Okay, That's exactly what I'm you get to see I'm going to think about Watchmen for a while then now then what happens is uh, unfortunately we find out that Dave Bautista's wife became infected oh no and he had to murder her no murder is probably the wrong word had to put her down Ugh. those that, are his words That's not mine those are his words, not mine. Well, not and that is one instance of fridging, Michael, where that acts as a primary motivator for Dave Batista and his daughter. Okay. So fridging number one. <laughs> then. Yes. Then Mr. Tanaka, oh, who's sounds, a shady dick. He sounds Japanese. Okay. He wants to hire the lads to get 200 million out of a vault. Okay. 
And so yes. he gets his team together. And there's a lot of, uh, you son of a bitch, I'm in. Oh, excellent. Okay. So what there is in that is there's a lady mechanic who's ballsy and gutsy and will stay by Dave Bautista's side no matter what happens. Is that Tig Notaro? No, Tig Notaro is the escape pilot. Okay. Okay. There's So there's Tig Notaro, escape pilot extraordinary. Benjamin. Yes. It's pronounced extraordinary. Benjamin. Um, Thanks. <laughs> Is it noticeable that Tignataro was never on set with the rest of the cast? Yes. It because is. She, her, her entire film uh, is her on the roof trying to get the broken helicopter to work. Oh, right, right. So she's essentially having a separate film. She is essentially having a separate film. Okay, right. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah. So we, we then have a um, very, very tough black guy oh. with Saw. Oh, good. Um, good to have tropes in there. Who's, who's had enough of this shit. Oh, very good, yeah. Just two days um, away from retirement. He's just two days away from retirement. We then have YouTuber slash streamer who for some reason is hired because he gets a lot of hits on YouTube when That's he kills zombies. Ridiculous. That's ridiculous, man. Ridiculous. Is it Jake Paul? He is, it's Jake Paul. Is it Logan Paul? It's, no, Jake Paul. Is it, it, well, Aaron Paul. it's hard to say. He is for some reason allowed to bring along two people oh. on a black ops mission for no other reason than he says, I vouch for them. All right. That's it. That's it. That's And so they get to come along. That sounds like it could go wrong, Ben. Uh, <laughs> um, it does. And then, then there's the young German eccentric lockpicker. Oh, very good. Who's actually very afraid of violence and not really good in those situations. And is he played by Topher Grace? Uh, or the German equivalent, Michael. Oh, Toffer Grace. Yeah, it, there you pretty much nailed the impression. Yeah. Uh, oh and my this is God. all topped off by Tanaka's shady, yeah. shady right-hand man. Oh. Who is brought along under the guise of being uh, an expert on the casino that they need to rob. Oh, right? very good, yeah. Now, that's fine. Okay. Benjamin, I'm concerned. Yes. Go on. You don't seem to have mentioned a sexy lady character. Ah, well, Michael, here it comes. Oh, oh, thank God. There are two sexy lady characters. There's a coyote. There's a French woman with blonde hair who runs wi- who runs people in and out of the quarantined ah, Las Vegas. Very good. Why? Nobody knows why people would want to go back in. It's not explained. Money, maybe. Money, maybe. They just love maybe. craps. Now. They just have to get their fix. So, Michael, there are two types of zombies in this film. There's what they call shamblers, and that's your classic Romero zombie. You know, shuffling along, um, dangerous in large numbers, piece of piss if you're in any way capable. Commoner garden zombie. Commoner garden zombie. And then, Michael, we have the alpha zombie. Oh. um, Which are Will Smith uh, legend versions Right 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 I am legend versions They have their own society They have their own loves You've seen it in the trailers There's the weird showgirl zombie And the big butch zombie Leave them And alone. they're in love Leave them to their own and business They're starting their own society Michael Anyway The lads have to go in Get the 200 million But oh no The government wants to nuke Las Vegas And the timeline has been moved up So there's time oh, pressure oh. There's a whole shenanigans um, And there's things like that Now this is major spoilers for the film because okay, I've been very go. light so far. The central conceit of this, Michael, is that the $200 doesn't matter at all. No, it's only $200. 200, sorry, $200 million. 
Doesn't matter at all to Mr. Tanaka. What he wants is the head of an alpha zombie oh. so they can experiment on it and turn it into a weapon. Oh, because he works for the Umbrella Corporation. Exactly, Mr. Tanaka. Um but the great flaw of this film is, Michael, yeah. they hire this crew mm-hmm. not to capture a zombie, but to break into the vault. Right. Because that's where the now, alpha zombie is. He and the coyote mm. on the outside of this go and get the zombie head. Right? Oh. So the right hand man, the shady right hand man and the coyote capture the showgirl zombie and cut her head off. No, oh, no. That's it. He has then achieved his goal. So were the were the bank vault people just a distraction then? The bank vault people are supposed to be a distraction, Michael, but they're a very competent black ops team that doesn't actually get noticed <laughs> until Shady Dickhead decides to expose them. So the entire threat of this plot, Michael, is I need a zombie. These are going to be my distraction crew. But why do we need those if we can just hire the coyote, go in, get the head and come out? Don't know, Ben. You don't need a film, Michael, and that's the point. (laughs) More than that... But slow motion shots of zombies, Ben. More than that, no zombie film has ever needed to be two and a half hours long. I think um, Dawn of the Dead is two and a half hours long, isn't it? And it's still shit. Oh my God, how very Michael. Michael. Yes? This is two and a half hours of the slowest moving film I have ever watched. And you have It never grabbed me. You have watched Boy. Boy. <laughs> Is that what it's called? Boyhood. Boyhood, yeah, you've watched that. Michael, this film is slow as hell. It's very hard to get invested in the characters. And when things do happen to the characters at the end, you don't care. No, no, not Tig Notaro. There's a very interesting turn in the last 30 minutes of this film where it finally picks up and what Zack Schneider decides to do Michael is a classic zombie film kind of thing the characters that we've spent our times getting invested in die yeah yeah it's it's, it's a classic picked off one by one but that kicks off with the most heinous example of fridging I have ever seen so you remember the the plucky mechanic that we spoke about at the start of this review Michael yes the plucky mechanic just has a heart to heart with Dave Bautista Mm mm-hmm Talks about building a life together. Yeah. Talks about getting out of this and how much they care for each other. Oh, she's a lady. Okay. She's a lady. Okay. She's a lady mechanic. Okay. And he a talks mechanic to... yes, Ben, as you would call her. Uh, no, you wouldn't. Um, so, Dave Batista has this. They have this heart to heart. Then the, the door is open to the elevator and her neck is snapped unceremoniously. Oh. Dave Batista has to watch her head get turned full 180 oh, on her good. body yeah. and her drop to the floor. Oh, no. He then sparks into a rage and murders a bunch of zombies with his bare hands. Oh. It Wait, is one of the most He has bare ahead. hands. He has bare hands. He's some yes. sort of In mutant. the future everyone has bare hands. Um, so Michael, it's one of the most heinous examples of fridging that I have ever seen. It is actually incredibly cruel and mean as a twist. And it almost made me turn the film off. Oh, good. Um, you spoke a little bit uh, a couple of weeks ago about chaos walking and how the 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 almost the attempted killing of a dog or no, 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 the they, killing they of a dog, the dog, yeah, made you want to switch that film off. No, it didn't. Make I came it, that I did, close. I did turn it off. I, I yeah. refused to watch the ending. This film was remarkably cruel in its last thirty minutes, hmm. um, and it has one of the the least twist twists of all time. 
um, in the last couple of minutes. Don't don't um, spoil that then. I'm going to watch it tonight. No, it's a ah. I look. I'm sure it's somebody's cup of tea. My I thought it was a, a terrible film. I thought it was paced awfully. Um, I think there are serious plot holes and jumps in logic. Um, but the the central thing that annoyed me, Michael, is the entire heist angle is pointless. <laughs> You could you could nip in with a crew of four people, and capture the, your zombie, zombie, behead the zombie, and then leave. Sure, look, Ben. Not every Zack Snyder film can be a winner. Um, I, in my experience, Michael, very few Zack Snyder films have been winners. I like Watchmen, Ben. I like Three Hundred. Benjamin. Yeah. Have you heard the rumor that there's a director's cut of um, look at all these pretty ladies going around. Look at all these chickens. Um, <laughs> sucker Punch, Michael. Sucker I think, Punch is what, is what it's called. About. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's yeah. a Zack Snyder cut of that going around, apparently. Um, I'm all right, thanks. <laughs> He'd like you to see um, it, Ben. He'd the like first H- one. <laughs> He'd like Warner Brothers to spend $70 million on it and then for you to see it, personally, you. I, I don't think, Michael, this has any space in a, in a post-Me Too society. I don't think... That weird, exploitative, over-the-top film that is, quite frankly, predatory in several places... Is it? ...has any place in our society. The main character is a lolly character. It's She's, specific, she's called Baby Girl, and baby her doll. specific sexiness is... It's even worse if it's Baby Doll, Michael, I'll be honest. Um, her specific sexiness is because men leer at her because of her youthful, innocent persona. Gross, baby. It's, You're gross. A gross fucking film. It's not me. It's not me. Well, I didn't make it. I One Zachary Schneider did. I thought you were director Zach Snyder. No. What have I I'm been not. interviewing you for for the last half hour then about this goddamn film? Sure, for the look, last then, four years. Let's, let's bloody move on then. <laughs> um, you were there scratching your head wondering why a podcast with Zach Schneider wasn't doing better. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I wasn't really, to be honest. <laughs> ah, got him. Michael. Yes, Michael, Michael, there is a phenomenon that is currently taking place um, in the world. And arguably, Dave Bautista's character in this film could be could be put up there. Um, there is the rise of the himbo in pop culture, Michael. And we said it at the top of the episode today. We'll be taking a look at that because it's a fascinating resurgence of a very, very bizarre character trope. Oh, so Ben, uh, you love yeah. a trope. Ben, why don't you tell all the new listeners? Just... Apropos of nothing, why don't you tell all the new listeners to the new podcast, Sure Look, Sure Listen, Taking a Pop Culture? Yeah. Benjamin, why don't you tell them what a trope is very quickly? A trope is a common characteristic or trait that occurs over and over in different genres of fiction, Michael. Tell, or, us, some, tell us some famous examples. Uh, chosen One Trope, Michael, is a very famous example of the trope. Uh, the Femme Fatale would be a very famous oh, trope. Yeah. Um, the Born Sexy Yesterday trope, Michael. What's um, that mean? Is, is a very uh, powerful character who has only been rebirthed. The perfect example of that would be Mila Jovovich in The Fifth Element. Lilu. Uh, Lilu, exactly. Uh, Michael, uh, bloody, there's all kinds of tropes. But this one is the himbo. And the himbo has made a resurgence, Michael. And unlike many of the tropes I just mentioned, this one doesn't piss people off much. In fact, it's become something of a cultural sensation. Oh, good. So not all tropes are negative, though, is what you're saying. No, heavens no, Michael. Some some are excellent. Some are inversions of common tropes that you found and are, are the antidote to some very toxic cultural narratives that people may have been imbibing uh, passively. Of course, Ben, all society and culture is secular. Secular? It comes in cycles. Cyclical, that's the word. Cyclical. It's cyclical, Ben. And 
you know, someone might be doing a podcast in 30 years and going back and looking at the toxic rise of the himbo. Well, we'll get to that at the end, Michael, because there is a toxic underbelly to the himbo that we'll we'll probably have a look at. But, Michael, let's let's start off by by ben, getting you to... Go ben, on. like the poison dart frog. Like the poison dart frog with its poison underbelly. Yeah, it's toxic underbelly. Very good. Yeah. Um, so, Michael, ben, what I want you to do is close your eyes. Ben, sorry to interrupt again. Yeah. Poison dart frogs, it's their backs that are toxic. I, I know, it's the I, poison overback of the himbo. For the for the sake of the joke, it was worth it, but I can't let that stand because we're going to get emails. It's your joke. I, like, I don't mind. If you um, want to I've, retract mid-sentence, I don't fine. mind uh, undermining my own jokes for scientific accuracy, Ben. Underbellying your own jokes for scientific accuracy, Michael. Uh, <laughs> anyway, close your eyes before I All right. snap at you. All right, my eyes are closed. Right, cast your mind back to 2006-2007. Okay. And I'm, see uh, what this see what this conjures in your mind. All right, all right, all right. Oh, that's Matthew McConaughey. All right, I'm going to get my bongos. It's Matthew McConaughey down. from the film uh, Ship, Shipwrecked in the Desert. It's bloody, uh, I can't remember what that's called. Sahara. Sahara, that's Sahara. the one, yeah. I'm in Sahara. All right, all right, all right. What's that, Sarah Jessica Parker? You going to get my life together? Oh, no. Move out of my parents' home? Oh, God. Let me play the bongos. Bird's nest, I'm uh, in the bird's nest. Get out of the nest, you little prick. Is that what that was called? <laughs> get out of the nest, you little prick. Failure, failure to, to launch. launch. Is what that was called. So he is kind of an early trendsetter of the mid-2000s himbo, Michael. Big, handsome man. Yeah. Not a lot going on in the common sense department. Dumb as a brick. But wholesome to fuck. Right. Right? Go on. Um, and that's that's fundamentally, Michael, what the himbo is. The himbo, of course, is a a, a gendered a kind of tinkering with the famous term bimbo. Right. Um, and really, Michael, one of the fascinating things that I found while I was researching this particular trope is, um, for those that don't know what a bimbo is, first of all, what rock have you been what, living on? What rock or planet have you been living on? Is it a different planet? Tell us. But, but a bimbo in a... <laughs> tell us now. Tell us now. We want to make a contact. A bimbo in modern parlance, Michael, is uh, a ditzy, super attractive woman um, yeah. who is very innocent, very naive, um, and very easily taken advantage of. The kind of go-to one in pop culture lexicons is Marilyn Monroe in oh, anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that phrase, believe it or not, Michael, was actually originally introduced for men. Bimbo. Um, a bimbo was a big meathead, um, a good-looking meathead with nothing going on upstairs. Go on. Um, and then over time, Michael, it was transferred to specifically apply to women. Mm. Um, so it's an interesting inversion of that in the original place. But himbo has come back, Michael, to kind of tackle that. And a himbo is usually a big muscular man yeah. who's not the brightest tool in the box. Right, that's not that expression, but go on. Brightest tool in the sh- sharpest tool in the shed. There yeah. we go. I got it eventually. Um, the bright is it the brightest bulb? No, he's just bulb. not the brightest. Doesn't just matter. not the brightest. Doesn't matter. He's ben. not. There's he's not the brightest karaoke singer at the Japanese bar. There's a certain irony in this conversation. I have to say. Uh, well, we'll get into that in a few minutes, Michael. But anyway, um, the himbo, Michael, big, dumb, handsome, uh, n- but yeah, but. Very, very sweet. Yes, that's very, the key, very sweet, isn't it? That's the key because there have that's been, the core. There have been hundreds. There's been millions of characters who are big, dumb, handsome dicks. Yes, there's plenty of those. They're, Army Hammer, <laughs> real life example 
Arm and Hammer, the, the noted <laughs> cannibal Arm and Hammer. <laughs> Benjamin, but, you know, any kind of high school movie has a big, dumb, handsome bully character. Yeah. The and they're jock. big and they're dumb, but they don't. Yeah. It's all about Venn diagrams, isn't it, Ben? It is, Michael. Now, I know that on screen it looks like I'm doing the international symbol for boobies, but I'm doing the international symbol for Venn diagrams. It's yes, all about very Venn, specifically. It's all about Venn diagrams, Ben, and they have to match. the. I love a Venn diagram based joke, Ben. One of my, most of my favorite jokes are based around Venn diagrams. That doesn't shock me. But, Ben, they have to be big and dumb and nice. And nice. No, sorry. Big, yeah, or handsome big handsome muscular whatever dumb and nice correct so yeah. this is the himbo so some of the some of the ones because off ben, the top of the head yeah go on if they're just handsome and nice then they're not a himbo they have to be dumb they have to be dumb but if they're just big and dumb but they're not handsome then they're that guy who kills the mice from of mice and men yes uh gus i say no. gus S- sunny I can't. I can't remember. Anyway, Michael, one of the one of the key ones that has led the charge in this kind of renaissance of the himbo is Thor in Thor Ragnarok. Yes, funny. The funny thing about Thor, Ben, is go on. First of all, it's Chris Hemsworth. Chris Hemsworth's fault. This whole thing is Chris Hemsworth's fault. Yes, but Thor undergoes a bit of a himboization. Yes, because he wasn't that before. He was a bit daft in Thor in Thor one. But he wasn't sweet. No, he was a bit mean. He was kind of a dick. He was a bit of a dick, Ben. Like, he's big and muscular and handsome, obviously, although he does have ridiculous eyebrows. They're blonde. Yeah, I mean, it, they really take his handsomeness down a notch or two in that film because Several. of that awful hair and, and eyebrow job. Yeah. But, Ben, he's big and dumb and handsome, but he's not that nice, so I don't think he qualifies no, he doesn't, Michael. He doesn't really. It's just not how it works. But then in Thor Ragnarok, no, what we get. Go on. Oh. In Thor The Dark World. Oh, no. He's big and handsome and he's nice, but he's not dumb. Oh, is he very intelligent in Thor The Dark World? He's not necessarily very intelligent, but he's not the butt. His, his lack of understanding of things isn't the butt of jokes in the way. Um, it is in Thor 1 where he doesn't understand Earth. He's like, I like this drink and smashes the coffee and runs into yeah. things and bunks, gets electrocuted and bunks his face off the glass and all that sort Classics. of stuff. But in, in Thor 2, he's big and handsome and, and muscular and he sorted out his eyebrows and hair a bit. And a bit. He's all, but he's also nice. He's nice to Jane. The whole thing is about being nice to Jane the whole time. But he's not dumb. Nothing really happens to him that's dumb. He gets tricked by Loki, mm-hmm. but he gets tricked by Loki in a very cunning plan, not a like, Die, I'm Thor kind of way. Yeah. So then, Michael, yes. what Taika Waititi does is he takes a big old dose of Labrador energy mm. and just shoves it into Thor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what we get is a big fluffy boy yeah, in Thor he's a, Ragnarok. He's a big fluffy boy, Ben. He's a big fluffy boy. He's always a beat behind everybody else. Yeah. And he's always forced to be on the back foot. Yeah. And use his strength or use his power to get out of the situation that his misunderstanding has put him in. Yeah. And one of the great ways that that's established is that Tom Hiddleston is a snarky boy 
for mm-hmm. that entire film. Yeah. And his Loki gets his energy turned up to 90 as well. There is a huge amount of Loki wincing at his brother's naivete. Mm-hmm. Where he's like, oh God. Oh, oh what's God. He doing? Look at this dumbass. Yeah, and there's a lot of that involved in it, and it's a, it's a key example of that. Another huge example, Michael, in, in common pop culture is Kronk from The Emperor's New Groove. Benjamin, I've never seen it or heard of it. Oh, that's a shame. Kronk is Yzma's right-hand man in The Emperor's New Groove, and it's uh, the right. poison for Cusco. Benjamin. The Cusco poison, that guy. You, you have um, explained that character to me by referencing another character that I have no idea who they are. Okay, very good. In uh, the animated Disney movie, The Emperor's New Groove. Yes. There is uh, an Incan empire. Yes. uh, Headed up by David Spade. Right. In the form of Cusco, who's the emperor of this particular empire. Good bit of He's a bit of a dope. Yeah, it's not not a difficult jump in understanding there. Um, He's a bit of a dope. Yeah. And... He wants to be ousted out of power by the evil advisor, a bit of a Jafar character, but in female form this time, Yzma. Oh. Um, and Yzma is a spindly old lady. She's a bit like if Cruella de Vil and Jafar had a baby. And okay. before that image traumatizes you for life, no, um, they have, <laughs> she has a right-hand man in Kronk. And Kronk is a big, meaty, handsome man who's very wholesome, but a bit of a dope. And that's right. why he's a villain. Right, cool. He's just a villain by the fact that he trusts Yzma and he shouldn't. Right. Okay. Um, he's become quite a popular one in the internet. Um, but this this idea of the himbo, Michael, is nothing new. This this term, himbo, was introduced in the 1980s by a writer for the Washington Post. And she used it to talk about big, meaty characters in action films. The likes of your Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh. Or well, your Sylvester Stallone. You could argue then, Ben, that the definition has somewhat changed or shifted. Yeah, absolutely. So the initial definition was a big meaty man yeah. whose bust size rivaled in models. Very and that's uh, that's a direct reference from her article. Mm-hmm. Um, and she talks about how they're pretty much not equipped for the modern world, but they excel in one area of skill. And that's what makes them useful. Yeah, okay, okay yeah, so I can see it. If you take a look at Rocky... He's pretty much, and you'll excuse the the pun here, but he's a working class punching bag for society. Yes. Except for the fact that when you put him in a ring, there's not a fucking soul alive who can take him. Well, except Apollo Creed. Shush. Shush. um, Shush. I think Ivan Drago beats him as well. No, he doesn't. Ivan never beats him. Shush. But I mean, he loses in Rocky, Ben. Shush. I don't want to spoil it for you. Shush. The whole point is he excels in a certain area and he does very well. Arnold Schwarzenegger is dumb as a bag of rocks um, and quite often plays that character. You're looking at twins. Yeah. You're looking at... Kindergarten uh, Cop. Kindergarten Cop. You're looking at these kinds of characters where they're just fish out of water scenarios and things like that. Now, those are examples of what we would call himbos designed for men. Ah. Because, I mean, the argument you could make is that neither of them are very good looking. Um, you could make that argument, but they are very muscular, Michael. Yeah, they're big and um, muscular, but I mean, ladies most certainly don't have posters, or in the 80s, ladies didn't have posters of Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sylvester Stallone on their wall. Correct. Benjamin. It's very much a male fantasy that no matter how ill-adept they are in certain parts of society, as long as they have a core skill or can be useful, yeah, 
that they are good and they are masculine and they are men. Benjamin. I, yes. I visited a friend recently. I won't say who it was or give any further context. But I visited <laughs> oh, a friend recently and I went to use the bathroom. And okay. it, it's a, it was a male-only house. And when I went into the bathroom, I was very surprised and put off that when I closed the door and sat down for a quick poo, <laughs> there was, staring back at me, an almost nude Arnold Schwarzenegger flexing. <laughs> <laughs> like, hmm, this is off-putting. So that's a himbo very much for men. Yeah, that's very interesting. If you're looking for the cinematic antidote to that, a yeah. himbo for women, look no further than Brendan Fraser. Oh, from the 80s and 90s. 90s. George of the Jungle, The Mummy, uh, Airheads, any of those features a big, sweet, dumb as a rock, handsome to fuck man. Was um, was California Man his first effort? Or what did they call that in, the, in America? Encino Man? Uh, it's entirely possible that it was, but there's a key scene where you can point to Brendan Fraser's elevation to himboism. Go on. And that's the scene in which Race, Rachel Weiss's character mm-hmm. in The Mummy yeah. is drunk. Evie. Evie. And she's going to kiss Rick O'Connell. Yeah. And rather than take advantage of that moment, Rick O'Connell simply puts her to bed and calls it a night. Ah. And that is the moment where he reaches the trifecta of not the smartest man in the room, very physically capable, but also heart of bloody gold. Mm. And that's the thing. Now, when we look at Himbo's design for women, Michael, it opens up the range an awful lot more. Yeah, well, they usually have their shirt on. One of the key Himbo's that has been elevated to godlike status in pop culture is Joey from Friends. All right, go on. And Joey from Friends is a perfect antidote for toxic masculinity. And this is the recent argument for why the himbo has had a resurgence in modern post-Me Too society. Is is Joey from Friends not not a bit casual with women? No, we're going to break it down now. All right, let's break it down. Because there's a character evolution in Friends. So what happens is Friends is really a, a wonderful, wonderful examination of toxic masculinity. And it comes in two distinct forms. <laughs> Ross Geller is one of the worst characters of all time. He's the worst. He's he's manipulative. Yeah. He's slimy. Yeah, he's worst. He's gaslighty. Yeah. He's not a great person. But Ben. Yes. They were on a break. Uh, no, they weren't. They were. Anyway. They were 100% on a break. Anyway. Joey has yeah. his chance at a relationship with Rachel. And through the course of that relationship, he is nothing but devoted and accepting of everything that Rachel is. Oh, gross. Jesus Christ, Michael. (laughs) It's 2021, man. Come on. Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, he's but hold on a second. No, well, no, I, I, I do have a bit of a point there. Is go on. But I'm okay. He's devoted and accepting of everything that Rachel is. Rachel is also not very nice. No, she's not. But that's not the point because right. it's a himbo designed for women. All right, right, okay. The point, the point of a himbo is not to critique uh, a woman's actions or to underline a particularly male trait. It is a fantasy for what could be considered a big, handsome, non-threatening man. Mm. He's not. And that in big. that way, <laughs> in that way, it takes different forms because it can just be a handsome, non-threatening man. Right. 
Do you understand? Mm. So Joey ends up showing unconditional love, whereas Ross's love is exceptionally conditional, if not borderline manipulated throughout the entire series. Well, Ross is a prick, though. Ross is a prick, but he wasn't written as a prick, Michael. It just happens that with the hindsight of the 1990s, we all look at Ross and go, Jesus Christ, what uh, a fucking prick. I don't know if that's true, Ben, because I actually watched Friends in the 90s and everyone thought Ross oh, was on. a prick. Oh, good. Yeah, well, yeah. then I'm glad to see that the 90s was not the wasteland that I, I thought don't th- it was. I don't think anyone was going, oh, man, I'm going to model myself on Ross and his horrible trousers and his deep good. mistrust and fear of women. Good. No, everyone um, ev- in the 90s, everyone wanted to be Joey. Good. Well, then the himbo had its moment then as well. So nobody... Um, the way we could look at that as well, Michael, is that um, Chandler would probably be the opposite of that. He's a very intelligent... Let's look, look good looking man. But his relentless sarcasm and cynicism is quite draining. Um, and the thing that makes the himbo again so appealing is that relentless optimism um, for what comes next. Mm. Um, the, the himbo is very rarely worn down um, by continuous failure or anything like that. And usually picks themselves up and dusts themselves off and, and keeps going. The, those traits have kind of transferred themselves into a breaking of what we consider traditional masculinity. And one of the people that gets pointed out a lot for that is Jason Momoa. Yeah. Um, Jason Momoa is a big, handsome, scary man. Yeah. But he wears pink tuxedos on the red carpet with matching scrunchies. Yeah. He, he wasn't um, great in Game of Thrones, though, was he? Was he wasn't player. great in Game of Thrones, no, but not really. What we're talking there, but... about now is the man. You're actually just talking about the actual man, Jason Momoa, not a yeah. character that he plays. But remember that the himbo is a fantasy, Michael. Right? It's not. It's it's a trope, but it's a fantasy because he could well be a prick in real life. Because he could well be a prick in real life. We'll never know. Yeah, yeah. Um, another example of that being undermined is Andy from Parks and Recreation. Mm-hmm. And Chris Pratt is, apparently, a bit of a prick in real life. Is he, though? Well, we don't know, Michael, because we don't get to see past the bloody door. Well, but it's only, it's reported that way. I, I mean, I think Chris Pratt's biggest mistake is being a conservative and being religious. Uh, yes. And I think generally, Ben, generally, people who are analysing, like, has there ever been an accusation that Chris Pratt's not nice to women? Nope. I don't know if there has or not, but generally the people who are analysing tropes, Ben, your type of people, they would generally be on the opposite side of the political spectrum from um, from conservative religious people. Fair. And as am I, Ben, as you well know, I'm very much not a religious person. I would, I would say I'm, I'm anti-religious, in fact. Mm-hmm. But it is interesting that you would say that. It's also interesting that you've used the term toxic masculinity. Are we accepting that that's a thing that exists now? Um, I have always accepted that toxic masculinity is a thing that exists. Uh-huh. I think it's a broadly bandied about term without enough investigation. Hmm. Um, I would class it as traditional standards of masculinity that end up causing long-term damage to the mental health of young men uh, right. through strict, almost religious adherence to what we consider to be masculine, which may perhaps be outdated standards in the modern era. And how does that apply to the character of Ross Geller? Um, Ross Geller would fall into a very different type of toxic masculinity whereupon, um, well, not a very different, his, his, um, oh, okay, that's a good question. Hang on, I'm going to need to think about that. All right. Because I just think Ross Geller is a prick. 
I don't understand how okay. Ross Geller is an example of toxic masculinity. He's just an example of so a character who was written to be they were aiming for he's unpleasant in a funny way. And most of the time where they landed was he's unpleasant. Yeah, because the funny never really I carried think well. A lot of the time uh, I can't believe this has become a friends fan cast, but a lot of the time I felt especially with Ross mm-hmm. we were laughing at Ross. He's the punchline. Yeah, you're laughing mm. at Ross. You're you're often laughing with Chandler. I guess. Yes. But I mean, all of the friends characters are often the punchline. More often the men than the women, though, I would say. I think, yeah, okay, that's fair. I think where you could possibly draw a parallel between Ross Geller and toxic masculinity is that belittling mansplaining thing that goes around. Now, that's a whole other term that has a lot of bandying about and, you know, I don't think we have enough time on a single podcast to get into mm-hmm. that. Um, Benjamin. Yes. To go back though to the to the to the shining example of the himboization of Thor. Um yeah. what what you've done earlier, you've you've um you've a credit you've credited that to Taika Waititi. I actually don't think it was Taika Waititi that much because I think a lot of it comes from 2016's Ghostbusters. Uh the Chris Hemsworth. Yes. Because mm. have you seen 2016's Ghostbusters? I think you know I haven't, but go on. Okay. So Chris Hemsworth in that plays Kevin then. Yes. And he is an incredibly handsome, but dumb as a brick, man. but loyal and supportive uh, man. He he feels he fills the Janine role in the 2016 reimagining of Ghostbusters. He's yeah. the receptionist. And I mean, interestingly enough, I don't know if Janine was in Ghostbusters as sex appeal, but Chris Hemsworth definitely is in, in Ghostbusters yes. as sex appeal. And... In that, Ben, he he plays almost the definition of the the three the crossing of the three Venn diagrams. Now, okay. he he is very funny, and I think that this the himbo character that Thor ends up moving towards. I don't think that is Chris Hemsworth, but I think it's where Chris Hemsworth feels comfortable as a comedian. Okay, because the 20, 2016 Ghostbusters film, Ben, is not very good. No, it's not a very good film. And From what I understand, I haven't yeah, seen it. I've, I've seen it, Ben. It's it's not very good. The main reason it's not very good is it is completely lacking focus, and it's completely okay. lacking focus, Ben, because they essentially didn't have a script. Uh, ah, that they, helps. They decided to try and improvise a comedy film, and when oh, you dear. improvise a comedy film, you get some very funny moments, but you also get lots of padding and lots of weird things that go nowhere, and you know, it's it's a risk. And they took the risk. They took their shot. It didn't pan out. It does have, though, one of Chris Hemsworth's best ever performances as a himbo, where he's playing it for laughs. He does one of the greatest jokes of all time, Ben. He says, can I bring my cat to work? And they say, okay. oh, well, we're allergic to cats. And he says, oh, he's not a cat. Oh, excellent. Yeah, yeah. And they say, what? And he's his dog. My cat is a dog. And they say, What? And he says, oh, Mike Hat. His dog's name, Ben, is Michael Hat. And uh. <laughs> but apparently Chris Hemsworth completely improv that, which is oh, good. a spectacular bit of work. Um, anyway, yes, so that's where I think that's how it went, the Thor route. I don't know if it was necessarily Taika Waititi so much as it's Chris okay. Hemsworth. If you let Chris Hemsworth loose, 
that's the character he'll play. If you ask Chris Hemsworth to improvise, he'll he do, defaults to himbo. He'll do. He defaults to yeah, big dumb oh. handsome guy. Big dumb handsome guy. I like it. I like it. Um, there are other examples that we've seen, Michael. Um, more recently, Geralt from The Witcher is considered to be a himbo. Is he? Yeah. Now, isn't that interesting? Yeah, but isn't he very, very capable and smart? Oh, he's he's very capable and very well trained, mm. but he's quite often at a loss when he has to have the intellectual conversations with various other people. Mm. Um, and often he'll solve problems just as quickly as he can uh, through brute force mm. where possible yeah, yeah, um, yeah. so he's kind of fallen into that like Jaskier is his compass mm. do you know what I mean his his question this a little bit kind ben, of yeah to go back to earlier when we were talking about to- toxic results on young boys yeah um, isn't though Thor from Thor 1 and 2 Whereupon he's capable and intelligent, and I'm what what I'm really thinking about is his relationship with women. Okay, like his relationship with Sif, uh huh, as opposed to his relationship with Valkyrie. Uh, now, how do you mean? You're going to have to expand on that for so, me because my brain's not with Sif. Uh huh. Obviously, like he's the king of the. Or he's the most powerful Asgardian. Uh-huh. Gene- like, he's, he's okay, you could say he has a certain privilege there in that he's the son of the king and he has all of these inherent superpowers. Yes. But his relationship with Sif seems to be one of warriors who work together and are equals and are a man and a woman. Yes. And they seem to have a mutual respect. And, okay, she does love him a little bit and he doesn't love her, which is probably not a good look. But then you have Valkyrie, who is so far above Thor in terms of competence, knowledge, experience, everything. Mm-hmm. How would Valkyrie and Sif interact, I wonder? Similarly, I think I think that's a completely different reading. I think that's classism. Go on. I think Valkyrie is competent through experience and hardship, whereas I think Sif enjoys an entitled position among the pantheon of Norse gods. And I think if you were to have those two interact, I'm sure Marvel might botch it a bit and go for uh, an Avengers Endgame style women working e- together montage. they're both equally exactly as powerful and competent and yeah, cool. But I think if you were to make an interesting Winter Soldier and the Falcon style show out of it, I think what you could have is a very interesting look at um, working class versus elite. Mm. Um, and you could have a mutual respect narrative build its way forward. Um, I think Thor would end up being the butt of the joke Absolutely, within yeah. that series, mm. um, whereupon they would both be like, have you seen the way he does this? <laughs> and they'd both laugh. And then possibly, Michael, just to get some candy in there, we'd have a scene where Thor took his shirt off and both women are speechless. Um, <laughs> possibly, if I was to make that into well, a series. But hasn't, hasn't Valkyrie seen him repeatedly without a shirt and not been impressed? That's because Valkyrie is played as a homosexual, Michael. I think it's I a coded queer, queer coded. Oh, is she bisexual? I can't remember. I can't remember. Ben Perhaps there'll be a particular scene where Valkyrie finally sees the value then <laughs> of Thor <laughs> and his shirtlessness. Being a big thumb shirtless guy. Um, I mean, there are other examples of that, uh, Michael. Joe Manganiello in anything. Um, oh, yeah. 
you know, he's big, dumb and, and, and friendly. You know what I mean? Except Deathstroke. Except Deathstroke. But even then, a little bit of a himbo energy there. Let's, let's, let's face it, Michael. Um, there are other tropes there, Michael, but we don't have time this week um, to have a look at them. We've run out of time. No, Ladies and gentlemen, why do you think the, hum, uh, the himbo, the humbo, uh, the himbo has made a resurgence? Uh, who's your favourite himbo in current pop culture? Why do you think they appeal so much to a modern audience? Do they? Or are we talking out of our hat? Yeah, Let yeah. us know. In I'm saying they don't, Ben. I don't like it. Okay, you don't like yeah, it. Yeah, no, they friend. don't appeal to me. That doesn't shock me. Yeah, uh, no, it, it doesn't appeal to me in the slightest. They very much appeal to me, Michael. I think they're one of my favourite current tropes, actually. Mm. Um, anyway, let us know what you think. Uh, you can find us in a bunch of different places. We're on the interwebs at www.shomrabeug.com. S-E-O-M-R-A-B-E-A-G.com. It means tiny room in Irish. Uh, we can also find us on the Instagram, which is at Shomrabeug. Same spelling. Same meaning. Very, very good. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, join us next week where we'll be taking a look at toxic tropes. Oh, well, um, are we? we? Yeah, we hinted that a little bit um, at the beginning of this very episode. We'll be taking a look at the tropes that really just ruin a story for you as soon as they introduce themselves. And you oh, just brilliant. go, ah. Oh, himbos. No. All right, okay. <laughs> I've got the ick. So I think we've just found one of uh, Michael's top toxic tropes. Um, and he'll be able to tell us a little bit more about why he doesn't like it so much next week. All right then. What is, what examples, Ben? Uh, the chosen one, for example. All oh, right, right. Um, or uh, born sexy yesterday, which is one of my pet peeves. Mother. Okay, hold on. Are you saying that they're toxic in the modern sense of they're toxic culturally, or just things people don't like? Um, Are you saying toxic in the same way as toxic mas- masculinity, or toxic in the same way as oh no, I just don't like this? Well, I was going to look at things like fridging, which we've covered before, but in a, a lighter sense. I was going to focus on the, the negative tropes, I guess, that kind of spoil stories for us as a modern audience. Okay, so uh, not necessarily pro- toxic in a social way. Uh, not necessarily, but I'm sure that'll come up as well, Michael. Oh, very interesting. Very interesting, Michael. That's it from us, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you enjoyed this inaugural episode of Bloody Sherlock sure Listen. It's not called Bloody Sherlock sure Listen. It's called Bloody Sherlock sure sure Listen. Sure listen. <laughs> ah, Sherlock sure Listen, Ben. I'll see you next week. <laughs>